Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Movement is located in Newport, Kentucky, and you're always welcome to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030. Hope you enjoy this podcast. So usually, at a funeral, one of the things that is read comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, where the writer tells us that there's a time for things. There's a time for things when things are right. There's a time when things are wrong. There's a time when we can step outside of what God intends and really make a mess of things. But that song comes from a verse that just follows this. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. It said, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He also has set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Normally here at this time, we would dismiss our first through fifth graders, but we're not going to be doing that this morning. Uh, This morning we are going to take a moment to celebrate and reflect. It's a real gut punch. Thursday, I get a call. And I hear this news that suddenly and tragically, one of our own passed away. Greg Colston. If this was first Sunday of the month, Greg would be over here. I dismiss the kids, and he'd go downstairs and he'd lead that group. It was the second Sunday of the month. He'd be out on that sidewalk, rain or shine, hot or cold, and he'd be the first person you'd see when you walked in. Greg was the epitome of Movement Church. Greg was the epitome of Movement Church not because he served, not because he was generous. Greg was the epitome of Movement Church not because he was so perfect. See, Greg understood that our mission of helping people find and follow Jesus wasn't just this abstract statement. It was something that he embodied and lived out. He was not somebody that, because he had this this moral, perfect life, or that he had everything figured out, that he didn't have this past that was complicated and messy and full of pain, but he was somebody that openly and clearly loved Jesus. Earlier this year, we hosted a storytelling event right here called Speakers for Sneakers. It was a fundraising storytelling event to get kids here in Newport weather-appropriate shoes. And Greg was one of the storytellers. If you know Greg's story or you were here that night, you know the power of his story. You know that his story is full of heartache and pain. It's full of rebellion and addiction. It's full of, of pursuing sobriety and pursuing that miracle on a daily basis. And you know that Greg put all credit to the power of Jesus. 
He embraced the miracle of sobriety, not as a one-time thing where God simply took everything away, but he embraced the miracle of that sobriety for him by continuing to pursue it. I don't know how many times Greg would bring a friend. I'd meet somebody. Greg would introduce me. I wouldn't know, but it was clear to me, this is a guy he met in a meeting who needed community. Greg wasn't a guy to have this pretense about him. If you knew Greg, you knew Greg. He didn't hide his flaws. He didn't hide his wounds. He lived very openly. And if you didn't know him, you still did. You knew his smiling face. You knew the way he would greet you. Times like this, um, where I have questions, where I have frustration i have anger at god in these moments where I, where i feel as though that this isn't fair because it's not when i think about his family when i think about his kids I, I come back to scripture and then there's that passage that's often read at, at weddings from first corinthians chapter 13 talking about love and the apostle paul kind of wraps up maybe what is more familiar or he precedes what is more familiar with this he says if i speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love i am only a resounding gong a clanging symbol if i have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and if i have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love i am nothing if i give all i possess to the poor and give over my body to the hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Greg had this undeniable love for God and for other people, for his family. And what I see in Greg, and what I see in so many of you, is that we are not followers of Jesus or Christians or believers or whatever word you want to use, just because we're trying to take care of some eternal destination no that's important but we are followers of jesus i see this is so many of you because we recognize that life is better as we follow jesus and that was definitely true for greg the ways in which that he embraced and lived into redemption not with perfection not with with getting everything right but with with this humility and openness was beautiful to see and out of the wreckage of of parts of his life out of the wreckage of some of your lives out of the, the mistakes of the missteps out of the sin out of the out of the grief out of the pain i see so much beauty and so when i think about greg and i got that gut punch of a call this week it was it was very much like well this is why we exist as a church this is what we're trying to do we're trying to connect with people who are in that spot i don't i don't have time for people that put on a show that put on a front I don't have time for people that are worried if their kids are going to be loud during service. I don't have time for people that are, that are just worried about appearances and making sure that they, they come across as good. But what I am far more concerned with, and I want us to be more concerned with, and I think Greg was concerned with, is this idea that Jesus changes everything. And the work and the love of Jesus is suddenly so paramount that everything else is secondary few verses later i think paul speaks to some of these very human questions that we have in moments like this of why 
Why? How is this fair? Verse 12, he says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Today, for the past few days, Greg is free. He is known. He is whole. In the midst of our grief and loss, in the midst of our sadness for his kids, his family, his friends, I want to take hold of the hope of Jesus. Not because that's a platitude and I'm a preacher, and so that's what, of course, I would say. But because it's real. I want to hold on to the hope that death doesn't get the last word. That Jesus' resurrection is this grand preview and promise for all who call on the name of Jesus. That this isn't it. That when we see great injustices like this, this tragedy, this loss of a father, this loss of a friend, when we see that in our lives, whatever the situation, I want to take hope on this. That the greatest man who ever lived, the man who was perfect, the man who healed, was unjustly, was brutally tortured and executed. And that the God of the universe, I think, was grieved by this because a piece of him was experiencing it. And as all the believers at that time were looking around and saying, when, God, are you going to show up? Saying some of the things that we might be saying now or in times like this. I think God was saying, there's something bigger here. There's something more. This isn't it. And we read in the Bible, we say, God, why didn't you intervene? Why didn't you stop this tragedy? Why didn't you fix this? Why didn't you heal this person? What we read is that God is grieved and patient, wanting to give us another chance. So those of us who are left, those of us who are here, are given another chance. And Movement Church is all about helping people embrace that. Far before the tragedy this week, I planned that this, this Sunday would start a new series. We take our mission statement, helping people find and follow Jesus. We turned it into a whole series. It was kind of a way of saying, hey, we've got people who might be new, and we all need a refresher. We need to come back to the basics. We need to come back to what we're trying to do. And so when I heard this news, I, I immediately thought, well, Greg lived it out. We can honor him and speak to this truth and speak moving forward, I think, fairly well. And so when I think about this idea of, of helping people find and follow Jesus, I think about how in moments like this, whether we be at a funeral or a hospital or grieving with someone in their living room, whether we, be, we are numb from pain and grief, whether we get cynical and apathetic because we don't know what else to do. I think it's in moments like this, it's natural for us to ask questions about the afterlife, to ask questions about heaven. Perhaps in your homes, you've had conversations just like that with your kids, with your families, with your friends. And, and when we lose someone, it's natural to ask these questions. The Bible itself is relatively very little to say about this compared to other things. The Old Testament is largely silent about the afterlife. What we read in the, in, in, the, in the New Testament, what we read there is that, in fact, Jesus speaks to the afterlife in heaven rather infrequently, to be honest, and uses a lot of metaphor when he communicates about it. 
he, he tells us things like there's a, there's a many rooms in my father's house. And if you entrust to me, I will go and I will prepare a place for you that's waiting for you. But far more often when Jesus is speaking about heaven, he's talking about something else besides just this ethereal place that's removed that we go to when we die. We read in the Lord's Prayer this kind of model, this, this prototypical prayer that Jesus gives us. He says that we are supposed to be praying that God's will would come down, that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. This idea of heaven coming down. Jesus was a product of his context, was kind of speaking to people in that time. And in that time, people understood that where heaven and earth met was in the temple. That at the temple, this is where the God of the Hebrew Bible met with his people. This is the presence of God. And so it's interesting that Jesus would often speak of himself as the temple. He would would co-opt, he would use this temple language to speak of himself. The Gospel of John speaks about how when Jesus goes into the temple, he sees this scene. Because people who were going there to worship would go and they would make these offerings, these sacrifices. And I think Jesus saw the pretense. And he saw the way that people were given this expectation that they had to have things figured out. And there was this notion, this idea that, that if you were wealthy, you would give a bigger sacrifice. So if you were going to church, essentially, there was all this status that came with it. Look how big, look how grand my offering is. And so outside of there, you had vendors who were taking advantage of this market inefficiency where they were selling smaller animals at exorbitant prices to the poor. People would come with a larger denominational coin and they would get changed. They would make change but have to pay these fees. And Jesus sees this and he freaks out. Jesus is enraged and incensed. He turns over tables. It says that he makes a whip and drives people out of the temple courts, causing this huge disruption. And what we see in this moment is that Jesus got mad about this. And he is confronted by those who saw this moment as a threat, a threat to their power. And what does Jesus say? In John chapter 2, verse 18 he says this as the jews then responded to him what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this jesus answered him destroy this temple and i'll raise it again in three days your plan is taking 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days but the temple he had spoken of was his body after he had raised from the dead his disciples recalled what he had said and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus has spoken. Jesus adopts this temple language to say that I am the new temple. I am now the place where heaven and earth meet. I am the place where the presence of God can be realized and experienced. And what we see over and over again throughout the Gospels is the ways in which this changes everything. The ways in which the Jesus being here in this presence, in this way, changes everything. And so for me and for you and people like Greg, this is at the heart that we are able to connect with God, not because we are so good, not because we understand everything, but because we have accepted this mediator, this grand bridge, this grand person who makes everything right, this Jesus. And there's no pretense, there's no prerequisite, there's no thing that you or I need to do in order to receive that. In fact, I think that being humble enough to admit our faults is a great first step in taking that way forward so when we think about our mission of helping people find and follow jesus of about experiencing this heaven coming to earth about experiencing this incredible moment i think we have to ask ourselves how do we do this 
In the Bible, there's this word that gets thrown around in this moment. The word is disciple. It's the English translation of this Greek word. And disciple is often translated or given this notion of a student, which is accurate but incomplete. What we see in this term is, is something that's loaded. And Jesus uses this word in one of his last commands to his followers, to his disciples, in what you may have heard called the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus says this. He says, it, sa- it says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are to go. We are to make disciples. We are to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And we are to teach them. We go out, we bring people into the family, and we teach. We we say we are helping people find and follow Jesus. We are saying the Great Commission. We are saying the same thing. Now, in my mind, when I think of teaching, I think of a classroom, right? I think of a lecture. But what we see Jesus doing is rarely anything like a classroom. Sure, he explains things, he speaks, he, he gives lessons, but he also speaks his stories and parables. and He brings people along, and life is done on the way. He lives something out with his disciples. So I think that there are three things that we can do. I think there are three things that we can be doing to experience this mission and to experience this mission in a way where we are helping others experience this. The first thing is that we have to do is we have to be ready to tell the story. We have to be willing and ready to tell our story, tell your story. And then we have to be willing and ready to take the next step. Very clearly, very simply, telling the story is telling the story of Jesus. Perhaps for you, you can speak to the great injustice of Jesus' execution and the way that God overcame this. You you can speak to this idea that, that Jesus is somehow going in our place. You can speak to this idea of the ways in which that Jesus welcomed all and brought everyone in and kind of announced this global, all all historical, ecumenical, bringing everyone together. Or maybe you just go with something that maybe, if you're like me, was how I first heard about this. You talk about love. And you go to that verse that is so common, is so, is so known that maybe you know it by heart. But John 3.16, 3, John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. I, I know so many of these stories from you. I know these stories from, from my life. Where people who claim to believe in this Jesus do very un-Jesus things. I know the pain and the hardship. I know the words said. I know the isolation. I know the ways in which people have pushed you out because your sins were simply more apparent than theirs. I know the ways in which that we have, we have caused so much division and so much fighting amongst ourselves that we are hurting what we are trying to do, our general mission. And so for me, I come back to this idea, well, Jesus didn't come to divide. Jesus didn't come to condemn. He came to give life out of love. And I think that we can so easily start from this place when we're having a conversation with somebody. We say, look around. Are you, do you think this is Right? Whatever it is that's going on, do you think this is right? Do you think this is how it's supposed to be? Of course not. Of course not. I think we can be honest about that and say, yet, yet, 
Things weren't right now, things weren't right then, and yet this Jesus comes into this world to express love, to bring people together, and ultimately make himself the greatest sacrifice, not to condemn, not to divide, but to save. To save for eternal life and life to the full. What we see over and over again is this. That Jesus loves us. Speak about your weaknesses, not your strengths. Share your doubts, not your confidences. Share your faith in all of its problems, in all of its holes, in all of its missteps. Share your, to tell the story. And as you tell the story, you tell your story. You don't have to quote scripture at someone. You don't need to do that drive-by evangelism. But you need to tell your story. You need to start by telling why this changes things for you. Why does this matter? This isn't just something that some pastor or some parent or someone else you love and trusted told you about, but this is something you believe, and you need to figure out what that is. You need to tell it humbly. If you talk to Greg, he wouldn't hide things. He wouldn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't downplay the things that he has done. He'd be very clear about that. He, he was not somebody who wanted the limelight. I think he, he'd be very uncomfortable with all this, honestly. And Greg was much, much more comfortable serving in the background. He wouldn't want to be up front. When we asked him to speak at Speakers for Sneakers, we had to twist that arm pretty hard. But I think we come to this point where we are telling our story, and there is power in that, not because our story is universally true, but because our story is true to ourselves in the ways in which Jesus has come to us. See, this is what I believe about Jesus. There's nothing you can do to get away from him. There's nothing you can do to get him to love you more. There's nothing you can do to get, to get him to love you less. It's absolute, it's current, it, it's complete, it's total, and it's right there. And so when we tell our story, we don't speak from these, these confident statements where there's no doubt, there's no question. We speak from our trouble, our trial, our missteps. And finally this. When I think about what does it mean for you to follow Jesus, I think we have to ask ourselves, what's the next right step? People have asked me, and I'm sure will in the future, will ask me, do I have to be a part of a church to follow Jesus? And I'll often say to them, technically no. I don't think, I don't think there's like church membership that's going like to get you in or out of heaven. I don't think that's what it is. But I often want to ask them, and I often do, I say, well, why would you ask that question? Why would you want to do life by yourself? Listen, without Jesus, I'd probably be a hermit. Like, I'd be a recluse. I don't want to deal with people, all that stuff, Right? I'm, I'm an introverted heart. Like, I, don't want, I just want to do that. But when I think about following Jesus, I don't want to do this by myself. I need help. And I believe, and I see this in Scripture, I see this experience, the ways in which Jesus speaks through those in my community, those around me. Not in their grand, like, deep thoughts, but in their everyday life. And so when I think about taking this next step, I think maybe for some of us, it's to enter into the community. It's for us to be fully, kind of make ourselves known. You know, there's a lot of ways that you can do this here on a Sunday morning. And we are, not, we are not the best place to follow Jesus, but we're trying our best. We are not the, the only place you can follow Jesus, but we're sure trying to make this an opportunity for you. You can serve in kids. You can serve in kids. You can hold babies. You can play with toddlers. You can teach first and fifth graders. You can be a greeter. You can come and serve. You can get up here on the stage if you've got talent otherwise We'll put you as a greeter. <laughs> or, or let you preach, because that's, you know, I didn't make the cut either. So. 
But there, there, there are ways which you can take the next step. We're, we're about to launch groups. I, I think for so often for us, when we're in this spot where we are kind of gut-punched by grief, we are, we are reminded of missed opportunities relationally, right? We are reminded of those missed opportunities, those calls that we didn't make, the conversation that we didn't initiate, the ways in which we didn't pursue knowing that person better. And so perhaps one of the beautiful things to come out of this mess, to come out of this grief and pain, is that we would enter into a community, that we would be known, that we would participate. And maybe that's here, maybe that's somewhere else, but we cannot miss the opportunity to do so. Because when I, when I think about this idea of heaven, when I think about this idea of the eternal life, what I see Jesus so often doing, he's saying, yes, that's coming. Celebrate that. Enjoy that promise. Take hold and take courage with that. But don't miss the here and now. Don't miss the now. Don't, don't, don't even begin to miss this idea that eternal life, that heaven doesn't start when we die. It starts when we begin to follow Jesus. Jesus came to give life and life to the full. So when I think about taking this next step, I don't know what that is for you. Maybe you need to figure out what you believe and why. Maybe for you, you need to re-engage or engage with the story of Scripture, the story of Jesus and the truth therein. Maybe for you, you need to ask God for prayer. And in fact, your prayer life needs to become much more about listening than listening. Maybe you need to step up in generosity. Maybe you need to step up to serve. Maybe you need to find ways to connect with others. But what I do know is this. When I think about our mission, I think about our mission and it just existing on some Word document on my computer. I think about our mission when it's on some branded piece of a card or something like that or it's on our website. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything without people like you, without people like Greg living it out. And so I'm honored I am honored to be a part of this with you. Because here's what I believe. I believe that eternity is different because of this community, because of you. I believe that God is doing something here. Not because we are so good or we've got something figured out that other churches don't, but because we're trying. Because we are linking arms and we're saying, I don't care what your past story is, there's a place for you here. I don't care how messed up your story is or messed up your life is, there's a place for you here. I don't care how much you have doubts that, that are crippling. I don't care how, how, how confused you might be. I don't care about, about what you did or didn't do in your past. I care about this, that Jesus hasn't given up on you, and neither will we. And I believe this, that Jesus says there's something better here I know it to be true. So our mission statement of helping people find and follow Jesus doesn't happen without you all. And it's not just about getting together on a Sunday morning, but it's about making sure eternity is different. It's not just about coming together and singing songs and listening to me ramble for a bit. It's about understanding that our lives and this world and our communities are different. The beautiful thing about Jesus is you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have things figured out. You can still get mad at them. You can still cry out in pain and frustration. You can still break down in pain and grief. You can be confused. You can sin. You can do all that stuff, and Jesus doesn't give up on you. 
I so respect people who pursue sobriety like Greg did. I know so many in this room and elsewhere, and they're, they're just heroes. But I know this, that Greg, without Jesus, I, don't, I think he would say he doesn't know if he could do it. And so what I'm asking all of us to do in moments like this is to take a moment and say, am I following Jesus? And if I am, how am I helping others? Because this is what we can do. And all the things that we're confused about, all the things we have questions about, this is what we can do. And I want this church to be about that. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much. Do we have the great...